Hi there, I'm Mariah Parsons, your host of Retention Chronicles. E-commerce brands are starting to shift their strategy to focus on retention and the customer experience. And so we've decided to reach out to top DTC brands and dive deeper into their tactics and challenges. But here's the thing, we love going on tangents. And so with our guests, you'll often find us talking about the latest trends as well as any and all things in the Shopify ecosystem. So go ahead and start that workout or go on that walk and tune in as we chat with the leading minds in the space. Retention Chronicles is sponsored by Malomo, a shipment and order tracking platform improving the post-purchase experience. Be sure to subscribe and check out all of our other episodes at gomalomo.com. Alrighty. Well, welcome back, everyone. Today, we have a very special guest. Nate, thank you so much for taking the time today, joining us. I know we were just talking about before we hit record um, how it's like a very busy week. Super Bowl is this Sunday at the time that we're recording and Valentine's Day is following up shortly, which you mentioned is your Super Bowl week. Um, So thank you for joining. I'm going to have you do a quick, quick intro just of yourself, and then we'll get into everything uh, strategy for Rocket Chocolates. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Mariah. Um, Yeah, I'm Nate Hodge. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Rocket Chocolate. Um, We make chocolate from Bean to Bar uh, out of a uh, small but growing facility in Red Hook, Brooklyn, one of the more industrial uh, sort of off the map uh, uh, parts of New York city. Wonderful. Thank you. Um, you have that down packed. That was so, so great. <laughs> um, tell us, can you tell us about like your background, why you wanted to start a company, um, like bean to bar, what was kind of the inspiration behind Raka? Sure. Um, so personally, I'm always someone who's been very interested in food. Like my background is pretty, basic millennial liberal arts (laughs) directionless um but uh always interested in food worked at a a brewery in college uh sold some uh homemade sauces various other things on the side um uh i met um the other co-founder ryan cheney in new york city in 2010 and he was already sort of down the rabbit hole uh with this business but had a lot less of like culinary background interests like his interest was primarily in uh uh like social initiatives um Mm. and building businesses uh that that treat people uh better at every at every step of the process and so we sort of bonded over that this idea that you know business in coming out of the 2008 um, recession business was sort of seen as a, a very unknowable profession compared to um some other professions more traditional um, yeah yeah um you know uh so we we sort of saw that as an opportunity to be like okay well what if we build a company specifically in cpg specifically in a segment of cpg that um that has a supply chain that like in its uh uh to put it nicely is opaque (laughs) um (laughs) and to put it uh more bluntly is like downright exploitive um in 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 some not so rare instances uh so 
in addition to that, you know, um, I think chocolate is just one of those things that is so fascinating given its history, given the, uh, um, the geography of it, given um, how little consumers, especially ourselves, but everyone we talk to, given how little is known about how it's made, where it's come, come from, like the, the, the bigger sort of geopolitical ramifications of like the cocoa trade and how it ties to all these other, um, other uh, important pieces of history and, 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 and uh, global economics. Um, so yeah, uh, that's a long-winded way of, of, of saying like, there was sort of a lot there. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> when, when we, uh, when we, we started to like peel back the onion, so to speak. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, that's awesome. You just gave like an awesome synopsis of what I want to dive into, <laughs> like all those yeah. different topics. Um, yeah. I have to admit. So <laughs> I, of course, was looking through your guys' website, familiar with it um, and with your brand. And I have to tell you that the first time I looked on the website, I was like, I don't think I've ever seen the fruit that chocolate yeah. like cocoa comes from. <laughs> it's yeah. like for someone who eats it a lot. And I, I spoke um, to this, like I'm a chocolate lover. I've, I've spoken to it before on the podcast. Like I was like, that just goes to show you really like me picturing the whole process it's admittedly so like naive to the whole thing right so I found myself like reading all your articles and like just diving into it I was like wow yeah there's just so many different aspects that I just don't know just from not being in like the CPG business right. um but just like from a consumer standpoint like I'm the same way with um like Willa's oat milk and we had bored cow um they're a animal-free dairy milk and so mm -hmm like just the industry in general and how it's changing and being and having a more sustainable approach and all these wonderful things. I'm like, wow, yeah. that really, it's just, it's, it switched my perspective on like from the consumer standpoint, which is so interesting. Yeah, no, I mean, it's such a fascinating, you know, it's, it's, it's one of the things that like our, how, how far we are from mm -hmm. our food is one of the things that makes, uh, uh, that, that that's like, beneficial to the u.s economy in some ways but also what makes it like so terrifying <laughs> yes, <laughs> to go to yeah. the grocery store and to try to like grocery shop without like um having all this anxiety about like what's in all of the products that we consume you know i mean it, it's something that really does feel like distinctly uh if not north american like definitely distinctly something uh in the U.S. that uh, is, is not necessarily true in a lot of other places in the world, you know, where there's a, there is more connection um, to to your food. So I think that's I mean, that's that's one of the things that drives me for sure. It's like um, is like having this connection to the ingredient, uh, this mm -hmm. connection to the process um, and like trying to be as authentic about that as possible in the way that we like communicate with our customers. Yes. Yeah. Well, I think it shines through in your brand and I want to talk about that, um, in a little bit, but I know just, I think there's also like an awareness or wanting to know more about your food. Like it's becoming socially, um, I don't want to say like it's a social trend because it sounds like it's going to go away, but it's becoming way yep. more of a normal process to like go through and be like, Absolutely. okay, what is in the, what is in, how is our food being processed? And I know I've 
seen just through social media of, um, whether it's an influencer or just like, uh, through word of mouth, someone saying like, Hey, I went to Europe for like six right. months or six weeks and their food is just of better quality. And like right. my, you know, whatever health issue they were struggling with before, like seems to basically be gone. And then when I came back to the U S it was here again. So yeah. just, just really interesting. Um, and I want to get into the process. I know you had said that, um, Ryan, the other co-founder was just very interested in like the actual process of food and like those, um, like from a strategy standpoint, but from a, a sustainability st- standpoint as well. So can you go into more detail for our listeners around like, um, you know, the bean to bar process and like the transparent trade that you all commit, uh, Raka to? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, so our, the, the trade model that we use is one that we sort of we've been sort of key in developing, which is a transparent trade model. And it, what the, the key uh, proposition of transparent trade is uh, like sort of freedom from the market in a mm. sense, right? So like when you look at other certifications like fair trade or Rainforest Alliance, those premiums that are paid on those uh, do a good job at raising the floor um, for farmers, but it's still a mechanism of commodity trade. So, uh, you know, cocoa might be $2.75 a kilo one year and uh, a farmer is getting paid, uh, you know, $3.25 with a fair trade premium, right? But if the market goes down, uh, their premium also in, in most instances would go down because it's still a function of, of the market. And so with our uh, trade model, like the thing that we try, that are trying to do, um, like sort of separate from certifications is say like, okay, we know that we want to work with this group in Tanzania, like for the long term. Uh, and we know that in order for those farmers to be able to continue the lifestyle, for it to be something they want to pass on to their children, et cetera, et cetera. Like there needs to be an understanding that the income coming into the household is going to be the same (laughs) or Mm -hmm. greater um, year after year. You know, obviously there's cataclysmic events that can happen with weather and whatnot, but, so it, it, that's one of the things that like we're trying to educate our consumers about, right? Like if any of us uh, went to our job, um, our performance review in January of 2023, and our boss told us, well, uh, you did a great job this year, but we're going to have to cut your salary by 20%. Uh, most of us would be like, all right, well, I'm going to go. <laughs> get on whatever and, and, and try to find myself a new job. So for a uh, subsistence farmer that is growing cash crop in order to take care of education, healthcare, whatever other basic needs their family needs, uh, they really don't have much of a choice other than to just make less money that year, mm-hmm. um, right? Yeah. And then in, in certain regions, there's like there's also an environmental impact um, that can take place uh, when the price goes down, right? So a farmer can choose to cut down their cacao to plant something else like pineapple, right? Pineapple is going to turn the soil 
super acidic and imbalanced within under five years. Um, and then they're going to have to regenerate that soil to grow more pineapple or to do whatever. Whereas like in a, in, in a, uh, on a farm that grows cacao, that's managing a canopy, you can have really balanced soil and grow cacao for years and years and years. So it's not just like the farmer's mm. environmental impact. It's like the loss of forest that's coupled with the, the, the farmer not being able to grow the, um, uh, to, to grow stuff. So it's like, there's a lot of things downstream of like sort of the economic sustainability of growing, uh, of growing cacao, or there, there's environmental impact that's downstream from the economic sustainability. So what our model really is about is, okay, let's build these long-term relationships and let's make a commitment to stabilize the cacao market in the, in the regions that we're purchasing from. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for walking us through it. So is part of the, is like one goal of the model to have others in the space also adopt that model so that it's like not just stabilizing, um, the companies or the farmers that you're working with, but that like, it becomes a normal process or a normal approach to the cacao industry, or is it like just, we want to commit to this and we hope like if others did it, it would be great. Um, what's, yeah. what's kind of the thought there? Yeah. I mean, we definitely want to commit to it. I mean, it's, 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 and, and grow and, and, and realize that the, the biggest impact we can have is growing the business <laughs> so that we can <laughs> yeah. buy more cacao, so that we can stabilize more uh, of that income for more farmers. Um, uh, and, and, and mostly for us, like, uh it's you know you don't want to be naive in 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 saying that like oh yeah that we're gonna like globally disrupt Change the, the world yeah. market and like what the ramifications of that like actually look like and the amount of impact that that has but you know i think a part of it for us and part of the, the thing that we really like and part of where the transparency comes in is like being uh both uh, transparent about what you know and what you don't know. Mm -hmm, <laughs> and it's like, yep. We know that in like some uh, specific instances, like this has a really positive impact and we want to continue to do that. And also like, uh, we also want to share the knowledge that we have and the knowledge that we've gained about how this specific market like functions um, so that you can think about that in terms of like not only cocoa and the chocolate you consume, but for anyone who's interested, like asking those questions of brands and other sectors, because uh, what happens in um, uh, like commodity agriculture is not specific to cacao, you know, like that's where we're doing our learning in, but there's so many other uh, uh, products and materials that are affected by commodities. And in a lot of cases, like, it's, it's unfair <laughs> to yeah. the people that are working at like the very basic level of getting those, the, the, the very first step in getting those commodities to market, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. So also another question around the model as well. Um, cause I, I like the little, you have like a little infographic on your site, which this is so detailed, yeah. but it like there you're trying to stay above basically like the fluctuation in the market. Right. Yeah. And so is part of that as well, like it kind of protects the consumer because you're ex like, as a consumer, you would be expecting the same prices, not like 
of a of one of your chocolate bars like you wouldn't necessarily see like one year if cacao was really expensive versus another year is it is part of the model to like protect against that so it's like the consumer knows what to expect for like the prices um no not so much i mean our products are more expensive than the other products Mm -hmm. um for sure there's no getting around that part of that is quality um one of the things that's also missing from something like fair trade are incentives for quality and paying for uh paying for what the farmer earned right so like yeah. one of the th- one of the things we've been tossing around is like an idea that we want to like propagate some of our marketing is the idea of like merit over market right like this farmer made this farmer this group of farmers made this amount of improvement to their post-harvest process which is a big part of chocolate that we can get into but it's like the fermenting the fermenting of the fruit has so much of an impact on the flavor and that's one of the reasons why we don't roast um so like there's 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 that aspect too that like in paying more we're 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 paying more not just not only because we think it's right to pay more but also because we're getting a superior product and we're paying more for a higher quality and like that's more of like what we want the customer to come away with than like any sort of like protection um um against price fluctuation it doesn't mean our prices aren't going to change like uh cacao is only one of many things you know shipping yeah. <laughs> obviously fluctuates a lot <laughs> our Everyone, world yeah <laughs> everyone's learned so much about that in the last two years um mm-hmm. the price of cardboard uh for all of our 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 cases and boxes that we used to ship the drug you know like all of these things fluctuate um so it's more the the message is really about like in paying more, we're also paying for a higher quality and our commitment is to make you a higher quality and chocolate products. Um, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That totally makes sense. Yeah. With the quality of the product of why it's a higher price on yeah. the, on rocket itself. I, which I might not have said this correctly, but I meant more like between year to year for like the Raka yeah. products itself. So, but it, yeah, yeah, like you said, there's just so well, many we're, other. We're paying so much above market anyway, right? So, like, yeah, in in, in like the lowest case, we're paying like twenty five percent above market. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, our prices are going to be relatively stable within the year, but um it's still going to be higher than what um you know if you were to if you were to grab a uh, a cheaper one yeah yeah yes that makes sense okay also a little bit of a tangent here but yeah. i and i realize i could look this up but i'm assuming people like me probably don't know the difference so um cacao versus cocoa is they're like yeah. a specific difference. This is more just like a fun little factoid um, yeah. between the two. And when do you use them? Because I've heard you say both. And I've definitely said both just on this call. <laughs> yeah. So cacao is a uh, is a an agricultural product. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, and then cocoa uh, is in most cases like processed in some way, whether that whether you want to refer to cocoa beans as like the fermented cacao seeds. Or if you want to refer to cocoa powder or cocoa butter, which has gone through some light processing in order to get those materials, um, it's really a matter of like agriculture versus um, 
versus commodity. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's what I could have guessed, but I was like, you know what? I might as well ask you while you, we have you on. Um, cool. Okay. So now let's talk about branding. I know we've mentioned it just with the importance of transparency and authenticity. I think we, we personally, um, just in, in the Malomo team and, um, in e-commerce in general have seen the importance of transparency and authenticity. So can you walk us through, you know, someone lands on your website or someone's interacting with your brand, what messages are you hoping that they're taking away? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, like, obviously, we want to exude quality. We want to exude transparency. But I think the other thing that's become really um, key for us in terms of connecting with our customers, in terms of people understanding how the business is different, is like getting people to understand as quickly as possible that like, it's like real people yeah. <laughs> that run this business, right? It's not some like big opaque corporation where they're not uh, they're not 100% sure like how to trace their product back to the like manufacturer it took place at and where those ingredients came from that got to that manufacturer um but like it's 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 a it's a relatively small group of like of real people so we really uh want to uh communicate that in our website, in our social media, in our email marketing, um, and, uh, get people to like sort of engage with us, um, as early as possible in the, in the journey, like in the last, in the last year, like we've, we've done a lot of our own, like sort of first party research into, into talking with our customers, um, you know, with the spike in a lot, in, in, in like some changes to third party changes to Google and changes to Apple, uh, the, the iOS stuff and meta, all that's all that's everything across <laughs> your third party data. Right. We're yeah. like, all right, well then let's go back to the basics and just call up, call up our top customers and talk to them. Right. Um, and one of the like, analog old school like pick up the yeah. phone like literally um so one of the things that we were learning uh in doing so is that like oh people people choose us because they like the product obviously um because they think that because they associate it with whole ingredients and those whole ingredients being better for you and the transparency making them feel good about their purchase but also because they feel like they're purchasing from like people <laughs> Yeah. So right. we've like we've we've like integrated some email flows. Like after someone's first purchase, they get an email from our fulfillment manager, letting them know that she's there for any questions and giving them some facts about the company. And then on their second purchase, they get an email from me telling telling them about like sort of the mission of the company and uh, what our team hopes that they like learn and take away from their experience uh, buying chocolate from us. And like that's gone. Like we get more people than we ever expected that engage with those emails. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and yeah, I mean, that's like, that's like the key thing for us. It's like, we're, we're real people who have real questions about this supply chain, who want to make products that resonate with, that hopefully resonate with you because they resonate with us, you know? Mm -hmm. Yes. So I love that. There's so many different things that I want to talk about and what you just said. Um, I have to commend I or the the um yeah, I guess commend you and your team because I do see that like come through in the website. And 
I remember. So when I think of brands that are like people first, really, really, really doing a great job about conveying that to the end consumer, the first that comes to mind is Pura Vida bracelets and like just how they, like, I remember when I was like 14, right. My like first interaction or first connection with the brand was that they had all these artisans across the world and like their founders came back with a couple of those bracelets, sold them like very quickly. And they were like, Oh wow. Like we could make a business out of this, but it was always going back to the original artisans who were making those bracelets. And that was the, like, when I clicked through your website, that was the impression I was left with where it's like, you can see the farmer or the, um, the person behind the people behind the brand. Um, so that's one thing I wanted to share. And I also think it's really interesting that you brought up the, um, getting the first party data. And I have to ask, did you actually just like call people up or like, did you email them? we (laughs) we, We identified like what we what through like a series of criteria like mm-hmm. who we felt our group of like one percent of customers our top one percent of customers were and we emailed them back and then from their responses we called up um a group of those customers that responded and yeah just like had a chat with them <laughs> yeah that's so, so fun if, I... so if, if you if, if you're choosing to spend this many hundreds of dollars every year on chocolate like how do we get other people yeah. <laughs> want to spend yeah. several hundred dollars worth of chocolate <laughs> per year here? And so yeah. we learned a lot. Like, um, yeah, we learned we learned a lot about um, not only like what people are looking for from us, but like what motivates them in in decisions they make about purchasing, um, and you know why it is they resonate, why the is the brand resonates with with them so much, and what we you know, we, we learned that like, yeah, they, they, they really admire that it's real people that they're talking to, um, when they have a question, um, and they sort of like, the other thing that was sort of a a point of learning is like, in sort of like figuring out how to distill the differentiation of our brand, because there's so much chocolate out there, you know, we learned that like, people like us because we check like a lot of boxes for them, right? It's like, Mm -hmm. The transparency resonates because uh, they know uh, that that means that um, you know the 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 supply chain is is fairer than other supply chains, and um, it's allergen friendly, and it's uh, whole organic ingredients that 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 don't contain a lot of fillers, and um, uh, they like telling their friends about it because the flavors are interesting and um, uh, and it's plant it's plant based, but it still like reminds them of things they used to like eat as kids. So it's like it's checking all these boxes for people. It's like, oh, OK, that's really interesting, like uh, to think about um, like the idea of uh, like having to compromise values mm-hmm. or compromise needs. Right for certain products uh and the idea of like oh yeah we we we're not compromising so you don't have to compromise you know um and that's like sort of um something that we're trying to work into more of our communications with prospective customers um yeah Yeah, it's a win-win right like no one has to compromise yeah um so I have, are there any, I know you just shared like feedback that you all got with that, with those calls. Were there any like funny or interesting stories that like stuck out of why like someone is a top purchaser? Like, are they in a specific 
like profession or something where they're buying a lot of chocolate or any any fun interesting factoids there oh man yeah i mean it really ran the gamut was i think the biggest takeaway for us is like mm -hmm. our perception of who our customer was and like sort of the diversity of, of, of who they actually are um was was really surprising i mean a lot of people um there's there was a lot of people who had like really strict uh that had dietary restrictions mm. around like sugar sensitivity or gluten sensitivity um that was sort of like the most the biggest takeaway because that's something that we've long like sort of considered is like um how much is like the health aspect right of chocolate yeah. of like a sweet like <laughs> really matter and it it feels like it felt like there's a lot more people that choose the brand or like uh or like whether or not we want to like drop some like allergen rest allergy restrictions in order to appeal to a broader set of people but it seems that like oh no like this is really important to our top customers the fact that there's options that are low sugar the fact that there's no gluten or dairy, um, the fact that there's really not nuts in the product. So all those things like sort of mattered. And that was something that like, we always kind of wondered. Um, yeah, I guess there wasn't anything too like funny uh, <laughs> <laughs> that happened. Totally fair, <laughs> yeah. That everyone, every, that, that anyone who's like trying to scale a direct consumer business like, there's so much value in taking the time to like find a way to like really connect with, with you, with at least some small percentage of your, of your customers on a much deeper basis. Um, because it's so much, there's so much more you can gain mm -hmm. from that than like relying entirely on third-party data or relying on simple surveys, like really talking to the customers just can, can provide a lot of insights. Right. I love that piece of advice for other founders or leadership teams were was there any incentive for like for your top customers to take oh, a call yeah. or more like tactically okay just in case yeah, yeah. so we we gave people a um um so we have like our subscription program so right. we gave people like a three-month subscription that either they could if they were already a subscriber they could gift it to somebody mm -hmm. or they could use it for themselves and then we also gave them like uh, I forget what the coupon was, but another coupon, if they were gifting it, that they could also buy something for themselves. Um, okay. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I like to throw in those tactical questions every now and then, just, just in case someone's looking yeah, to. I mean, yeah. <laughs> definitely, definitely have to give some kind of incentive um, mm -hmm. to get enough responses for you to be able to, yeah, no, that's a, <laughs> a good question. <laughs> yeah. Just calling up people randomly, you know, that, yeah. <laughs> that's how you get people on the phone. On, right yeah <laughs> oh that's great um okay and then another question which i think will go into um some other questions that i had but the the emails that you mentioned after a first time purchaser and then um like after a second purchase one about uh just like from your what was it the fulfillment manager the fulfillment saying manager. like hey i'm here for you here's some facts about the brand um, or about the product you bought. And then the second one coming from you are those, um, how does that work with like subscribers? Do you know, do you normally find like someone throughout the customer experience is like a first time buyer, they try out the product and then subscribe, or is it like some people just 
go in head first and like start subscribing? No, most most people subscribe like pretty much right away. Okay. Um, yeah. Awesome. So then knowing that, is it like you're sending those two emails, whether or not someone's a subscriber or? Subscriber. Yeah, it's just, a, okay. it's just a post-purchase email that shows up like after the tracking. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, okay. We'll talk about post-purchase in a little bit, but before we do that, I wanted to ask, um, so we've talked about branding a little bit and, um, getting that first party data. So what, how are you approaching like social media? Can you walk us through that a little bit? Um, also we had mentioned it before getting on the call and I mentioned it in the intro, but can you walk us through like your busy season right now? Are there things that you're changing for Valentine's day? Um, if you're allowed to tell us this will, if you're allowed to tell us before, um, you know, it'll, this will be published after or right before Valentine's day, um, on the 13th. So can you tell us any, any details around that? I would love to hear. Yeah. So we definitely like, we ramp our ad spend like a lot this time mm-hmm. of year. Valentine's Day, it's such a big, such a big time for us. Um, and like the, you know, we have all kinds of uh, exclusive products for Valentine's Day. And a lot of those products like are uh, like huge drivers for return on spend just because like they're uh there's there's like an appeal to it this time of year with the all the, the red and the that, that <laughs> makes it like much pink and than, uh than just like a a, a brown a brown chocolate bar <laughs> mm-hmm, <laughs> on yeah a, on that. <laughs> we spend a lot this time of year um uh on on ads uh on digital ads um in terms of social media it's such an interesting question um uh insofar as like it's it's so important to building brand but in terms of like driving purchase it seems like it's it's uh it doesn't seem like it has like a, a huge amount of impact. And then like the other thing that we're learning is like how many of our uh, social media followers are like international people internationally that are really interested in, they're just interested in chocolate that like mm-hmm. aren't really prospective customers because the cost of shipping is so like prohibitive to them. Right. So it's, it's, it's a great place to, uh, well, so like Instagram specifically, right? It's a great place to interact with other brands. It's a great place to like do giveaways and small collaborations. Um, uh, and it's a great way to, you know, our brand manager like takes pride in like responding to tons of comments. So it's also another way in which to like interact with uh, people that are engaged in the brand. Um, but in terms of like driving purchase, like that's sort of like the interesting, uh, yeah, like, um, and, and where we spend our, our, our time and money, it remains like a moving target. Right. Cause also mm-hmm. social media, like it, the, the site, like we're, we're, we're only now starting to learn about like 
the life cycle <laughs> of social media platforms, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Like we're in this, 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 like, this, like, the first wave of like learning about the life cycle, right? Um, uh, so that's that's been really interesting. Um, and then, uh, uh, you know, we're we're doing a lot more white chocolate and like white chocolate that's naturally dyed with raspberries or blue spirulina or purple yams. Um, and we're finding that like those, that stuff is like really uh, important for Instagram, but also like a, like great for TikTok too. Like that, like yeah. brightly colored white chocolates is like prime content um, uh, for TikTok. So, I mean, it, it has sort of, um the evolution of social media has sort of like in some ways changed the way that we approach products and uh think about products as uh a means of acquisition um as opposed to oh well uh we're only gonna make dark chocolate because that's what best tells the story of transparent trade and the supply chain to being like, okay, well, maybe we can get people in the door <laughs> with <laughs> brightly colored, uh, nostalgic, like plant-based sweets so that they then want to learn more about uh, the supply chain and engage with the brand in a more, in a more deeper, in a, in a deeper way. Um, yeah. That's super interesting. I would never have thought of the use case of white chocolate being <laughs> <laughs> Being, being like, something. oh, this is great. White chocolate's great for TikTok, you know? Like, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> there's one learning I'm taking away from this. It is that. Yeah, exactly. Oh, my God. Um, yeah, that's wonderful. And I, I do think, like, this has come up time and time again with, and I am I love TikTok. Like, I say it all the time. But um, the aesthetic videos and content that is created on those brands, of, if especially for, like, CPG brands where it's just, like, pouring something in a cup and like making it look beautiful like the drinks right like or <laughs> and I'm like I am such the target I am the target market for like these things but like cake decorating and all yeah. of those they're just pretty to watch right like and I yeah. grew up watching um all these baking shows so I think it like taps into that just yeah. a little bit but oh, yeah, like like stone wheels yes. like moving <laughs> with like pink chocolate like mm -hmm. that's I'm like, that, that is exactly me. I shouldn't be yeah, surprised exactly. yeah, by right. learning white chocolate that's colored right. um, would appeal. Yeah. So that, that makes a lot of sense. And so a question for you is when you're, um, when you're looking at like, how, how are you basically, so you mentioned social media changing your approach to like products, right. With the white chocolate example, and so how are, is there any, like, is there any point of where it's like, okay, we can tune out this maybe as like noise or like, this is not going to be something that we take into account. Like this isn't going to change the product because of this thing that we're seeing on social media, whatever trend or data that you're looking at. But like this, like the white chocolate example could actually change the way that you're approaching the product. Do you have any, like any idea as we're talking about, like, just even learning the life cycle of social media as sure. to where like those boundaries are. Yeah. I mean, like you don't want to lose what's important to the brand. Right. Um, and so like, 
in doing more of these white chocolates, right, we found that we, we sort of were emboldened to do that by going back to our first party data, right? Going back mm-hmm. to our first party okay. data and hearing from customers that like, uh, that, um, that they really like the fact that like all of our products are plant-based and that like, that was, that, that, that was really important to them. It's like, okay, well also there's, there's probably a need in the market and it's also within uh, the framework of our brand to like embrace um, to, to embrace white chocolate as uh, a plant-based alternative to something that people are familiar with, right? Like, uh, like people always bring up like the the Hershey's like cookies and cream bar, right? It, oh, like, it, yeah. Like it's 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 they're so gross. Like they're. <laughs> gross but everyone has like these nostalgic feelings for them right? i was gonna say like um, when i got those yeah, as a kid absolutely. on halloween i was like yes <laughs> this is amazing yeah absolutely so like there's still nostalgia for some of these things that are uh that are that are that are um uh that, that haven't sort of moved into the 21st century right um and uh, you might you might not reach for that product for a variety of reasons now mm-hmm. dietary yeah. <laughs> uh, like just the the types of things you want to put in your body like uh, after listening to this podcast episode palate <laughs> like be more advanced but if a brand like ours that you already trust as being like high quality using, whole ingredients not using a lot of fillers and stabilizers like that might be like a fun experience for you <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah um and yeah. so that's like sort of how we're approaching it is like okay yeah we can choose uh to it goes back to the the issue of compromise right like mm-hmm. you don't want to buy a chocolate bar and not enjoy it because it's like healthier for you, right? Yeah. Then <laughs> so, it's like, why are you eating it if you don't like the yeah, taste? Right. <laughs> um, so sort of embracing that aspect of being a chocolate company and being like, yeah, uh, uh, we're it's it's inherently a pro, it's it's inherently sweets, right? Um, and if it can still be like better for you, sweets by using um, by using whole ingredients, by being plant based, etc., um, then then uh uh then it, it makes sense for us to pursue that if it also helps us acquire new customers on tiktok by like helping us have more colorful vibrant um uh images and videos to work with um and it also like you know for us it, it fits into the the whole um like sort of scheme of the brand and that everything is really bright, brightly colored <laughs> to begin yeah. with. <laughs> but yeah, I think it, that's, it, like, it the, that's <laughs> like the key thing is as long as whatever it is you pursue to, to, to get higher engagement on social media still feels like it's authentic to the brand. It fits within the like vision of where you want to go as a brand then pursue it. But if it feels like you're, uh, you know, um, you know, uh, like compromising or giving compromising up your values yeah. or chasing a trend or, 
or chasing a shiny object, right? Like that's something we talk about all the time, like just organizationally, like, okay, is this really something we want to pursue or are we chasing a shiny object, right? Um, mm -hmm. uh, then, you know, you, you probably should rethink it to make sure it's not going to degradate your brand or distract from like what your goals are as a company. Yeah, that makes sense. I also think, well, you were speaking, I realized like I, my sister, she does not like dark chocolate, milk chocolate, anything except for white chocolate. So it's like, yeah. also some customers might just not have a palette for, um, darker milk chocolate, uh, and just like white chocolate. I don't know what yeah. it is. I, I got the opposite of her where it's like any chocolate love, but, um, yeah, that makes a lot of sense of like staying true to your brand and being able to have those checks and balances and like having your team all work together to say like, Hey, is this something that we're chasing because of X, Y, Z, or is it something that, you know, we can still hold true to our brand and yeah. can pursue like this new Avenue. Um, so is it, was it for the white chocolate example, was it like hot, just higher engagement when like, as compared to videos, um, oh, with the like, darker chocolate, is it like night and day? Insane. Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> okay. The engagement is like insane. I'm look. <laughs> People love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm going to, um, I'm going to have to go and completely just scroll and see oh my gosh that's what my afternoon will be um i'll say it's part of my part of my job okay so we've talked about like marketing branding everything um white chocolate a lot and i love it so let's go back to the customer experience post purchase um i know we we talked about the two emails that your new customers get um, are you coupling those with like SMS or do you have an SMS strategy that you roll out? What's your opinion on like email versus SMS? Are they used together yeah, I mean, in tandem? Everything really just started to do SMS like in the last eight months or so. Um, okay. uh, we like SMS has been super valuable for um like back in stock notifications for us. Like that's uh, that's been huge. That's been like the best way to like sort of acquire uh, SMS subscribers is through back in stock. Um, uh, also like incentives for like getting uh, early access to sales or early access to product, to new products. Like that's also like proven to be a pretty good way to get, um, to get people to subscribe to SMS. So, you know, we're sort of at the beginning of the the journey in terms of like, seeing how we can get subscribers to SMS. But those 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 couple of ways have been really um have been really uh helpful thus far. And then the other thing that's been like on a a post purchase or like a SMS email marketing thing like uh strategy like the the biggest thing for us has been like segmentation uh mm. and not sending the same number or same types of emails to uh, our most engaged customers that we're sending to people that we want to re-engage with um, so that we get less unsubscribes uh, to our list by like sort of tailoring it to the uh, to the, the customer and and how much they're interacting with our emails to begin with. Um, yeah, so we've yeah. gotten a lot, we've got a lot more engagement um, by by sort of like segmenting our list into several buckets and being like, okay, this is a good message for these different buckets to get them to engage with the email. 
Okay. Is that something you're revisiting like all the time of like those different buckets that you're segmenting people into and like the message that you're sending them? Absolutely. I mean, that's the biggest, uh, like testing, testing those segments is like absolutely essential to keeping engagement high. So, I mean, yeah. Are you, what are you like, can you go, can you go more into the specifics around like what you're testing, what you've kind of seen like work if there's trends across like different tests that it's like, okay, this, this copy or like this creative normally works really well for us in these different avenues. Yeah. A lot of it's like, um, okay, well, uh, yeah, it's like, like if we run a sale, right. That goes to most of the email lists. Mm -hmm. Um, and then like what we were doing before is we were sending our subscription, like flavor announcements to everybody, but now it's like, okay, this is only going to our fully engaged customers and our, uh, and our, uh, our, uh, our first nibs, our, our subscription subscribers. And then everyone else is going to get another email, maybe something with a recipe, maybe something with a coupon, maybe something about a new product coming up. Um, and then there's like super unengaged people that we don't want to unsubscribe, but we do want them to know when there's a sale and we're literally only sending them emails when there is a sale. And if they start mm. to re-engage with those e- emails, then moving them along in the buckets so that hopefully we get them back to tier one, which is they get every email, um, but like sort of tracking that and moving people into different areas so that we can judge what kind of engagement they want to have so that they don't unsubscribe and stop keeping tabs on the brand altogether, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. In some ways it's like, (laughs) it's like not a guessing game, but you're just trying to use all the different things that you have, (laughs) all the data and just being like, are they going to subscribe? Are they going to unsubscribe? Like, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Okay. Um, well, we're coming up on time here. One of the last questions that we always love to round out each episode with is what is one piece of advice um, that you would like to share with our listeners? Something that's, you know, you go to if you're, um, if you need to like reground yourself or just like business advice that has helped you get to where you are today. Oh man. I know Uh, it's a big hitter. (laughs) I should have, uh, I should have, uh, considered this a bit more. I mean, I, I, again, I'm just going to go back to what I was talking about before, like, uh, which is like, yeah, pick up the phone and talk to a customer. (laughs) Call someone. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you're, if you're having trouble, like trying to crack the nut on acquisition, you're seeing your acquisition rates slow or, uh, you're like finding that your ad sense ad sets aren't hitting. Um, yeah, like call someone. Yeah. <laughs> like talk, figure out what maybe like your that, support system, like your mother. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like we're just talking about guessing, right? Like, yeah, don't guess when it comes to when it comes to uh, um, acquisition. Like, talk, <laughs> figure out how how people are how your actual customers are engaging with the brand um, and what that can tell you about how prospective customers might want to be approached um, and how, how they might, um, how how they might, uh, how their journey 
to acquisition might look um, based on the information you, the, 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 the best information that you have, which is your current customers. Um, yeah, it was really eye-opening for us, for mm -hmm. sure, because it really sort of helped us in the post iOS, what it was now, iOS 13? Yeah, I think so. In the post iOS 13 so. um, era. The world. <laughs> sort of like uh, uh, figure out like how to tailor our ad sets. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's great. I hope too, since this is Retention Chronicles, I feel like I have to say it. You said, don't guess for acquisition. I hope you'd also say, don't guess for retention. <laughs> yeah, don't guess for retention either. Yeah, I mean, that's another, that's that's like another thing that I think like, um, you know, we this this brand's been around 12 years. Our, our, uh, our web business has really been sort of like big or growing like the last five or six. And I think like early on, like it was very much like, oh, well, we'll hope that like the product quality is enough to get people to come back. And like, we're confident in the product quality. We enjoy the product here. Um, we know that we're buying the highest quality ingredients. We know that we're taking care in the way that we handle those ingredients. That's, that's like what the brand's all about. But there's so many products out there that are vying for people's attention and so little attention that little, little attention that's left <laughs> for yeah. people to give, um, like a new, to give a, a new brand that they're, that they come to face with that, like, um, uh, yeah, like learning what it is you want those customers to know about the, to take away about their first interaction with the brand, their second interaction with the brand. Like that's so important um, uh, in terms of how you craft your attention strategy. Um, and I think that's the thing that, you know, we've really been learning a lot about in the last 12 months um, in order to better uh, like plan uh, what happens after we acquire customers. <laughs> <laughs> Um, cause yes. it's, it's like so sexy to acquire, it's so sexy to acquire customers. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's, it's a lot less, uh, exciting to talk about, uh, to talk about, um, uh, retention. Um, yeah, uh, we're yeah. hoping to flip that script, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yes. Brand yeah. loyalty is, brand loyalty is so important. Um, uh, Yeah. 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 That's awesome. I love ending on that note. Um, thank you so much, Nate, for making the time today. It's been wonderful talking to you. I know our listeners are going to absolutely love this episode. So thank you. Absolutely. I had a blast. Thanks so much. Oh, good. I'm glad to hear it. <laughs>